Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're Lots of um, concern today for people across the country um, who are living in the aftermath of of, of all kinds of gun violence. And so um, I'm just going to acknowledge that here at the top of this hour of Mornings with Carmen. Um, I know I am actively praying for um, a friend of a friend um, who is uh, in in a hospital in the Twin Cities following um, a shooting there, he and his, uh, he and another member of his family were walking um, a woman in their family to her car, and he was caught in the the crossfire of an interchange that uh, of a, an exchange of gunfire that took place at an intersection. Um, he's fighting for his life, um, and if if he comes out of that um, with his life, his life is going to be very, 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 very different. Um, which brought to mind the story of resilience that um, I'm aware of in Chicago. Um, Jonathan um, Annex is the name of the young man, uh, and he was he left his uh, his family's house to just you know run down the stairs uh, out, out the front door to grab a cell phone charger from the car, which was parked immediately in front of their house, and uh, was ambushed. And the bullet did not take his life, but has left him paralyzed and uh, and in a wheelchair. He was 18 or 19 at the time, uh, as I remember the details of this story. Um, and he's now 24, 25. Um, he just graduated from DePaul University, as did his mother, um, who her company gave her an opportunity to go back to school and get a graduate degree while her son was in school because he was having a really hard time uh, managing life in a wheelchair, and particularly the social anxiety related to all of that. Um, when I think about his story, one of the things that I always recognize, and again, if you Google him, it's Jonathan Annix, A-N-N-I-C-S. Um, one of the things that has always struck me about his story and his resilience is his positive spirit and his joy and his um, this is what my life is now attitude. Um, you can't, you know, you can't live in the past. You can't sulk over something you can't change. Those are some of the things that I have um, noted that he has said. I also note the frequent references to God and prayer, but no reference ever, ever in anything that I have um, uh, ever encountered, no reference to the church or the presence of Christians in the midst of the life of this family that has um really valiantly responded to a, a, a terrible act of violence. The shooter's never been caught. Um, and Jonathan still lives with this anxiety and this fear, you know, right, of being ambushed again, because, you know, this this came out of nowhere. Uh, and I'm, I'm struck by the fact that both DePaul University, which is a Catholic institution, 
and the hospital, the rehab hospital, where um, where Jonathan has spent so much time and where his picture is now on the wall, the Schwab uh, Rehab Hospital there as part of the Sinai Health Network in Chicago. Um, both of those are religious institutions, faith-based institutions. DePaul is a large Catholic university. Schwab is, um, as I said, a part of the Sinai Health Network, founded in 1919 as a hospital to serve Eastern European Jewish immigrants and to train Jewish physicians because they were all being denied educational opportunities in what were at the time, well, Catholic hospitals and institutions. It's very interesting to me how both these um, institutions, both DePaul and Mount Sinai, which have a rich history of sort of catering to their own, now now cater in Chicago to predominantly African-American and Latino members of the community. And they do so with vigor and dedication. Um, and, and so I just wanted to lift that up because I think that when we think about the history of institutions and we think about the status of institutions today, um, sometimes we imagine that the church is only the church in church buildings. And that's not true. Um, faith is woven into many of our local institutions and institutions across the country, and they are still serving in really significant and magnificent ways. They're just serving differently. And in many cases, they're serving different communities. So um, this young man, this uh, Jonathan Annex, I wanted to lift him up today because one of the things I appreciate about him is that he He sees the challenges that are immediately before him, and he leans to the side and looks around that challenge to the hope that's beyond, to the promise that's beyond. Um, And he is a very hope-filled person. And I guess I'm wondering if we as Christians are as (laughs) hope-filled as Jonathan. For the hope set before him, for the glory that he could see on the other side, Jesus endured the cross. So whatever you're enduring today, whatever challenges you're facing, can you see around that to the promise and the hope and the glory? Let's be praying for one another today and for people who are enduring challenges beyond our own. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Dr. Peter Kapsner is back. Hey, good morning, Peter. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I am well. I am well. Um, Kanye West. Kanye West yeah. apparently wanted to declare himself, quote, legally dead and um, <laughs> and then appeared completely covered up. Like, literally, you can see nothing of him. So this idea that he appeared at the BET Awards after a year off the grid, um, but in his appearance, he was completely covered up. What what is going on here and what are some threads we might pull um, in our conversations today? Yeah, he uh, had a marriage to Kim Kardashian that was obviously in the public sphere for a number of years. They have four children together. And because Kim Kardashian is uh, somebody who basically her, her fame basically is just a, a social media 
drama-induced uh, fame. It's not like she had specific kinds of talent that she. I'm not saying she's untalented. I'm just saying that no, it's but not she's like famous she's a movie for, star. She's famous for being famous. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And so they've been, they've been in the limelight for quite some time. And, and frankly, I think she benefited in her marriage from Conway West um, far more than maybe he did to her, just in that sense of keeping her fame alive. And so as the situation tends to be within social media, people get bored pretty quickly. Uh, and so you have to continue to create a lot of drama. I don't know exactly what went on in their marriage. Of course, nobody really does. But uh, she decided to leave Kanye West and uh, had a different boyfriend. And he then responded and, and seemed to apparently take their marriage far more seriously than she did. And But then he reacted terribly poorly in the public sphere of social media. He was uh, pretty berating, pretty um, verbally abusive in that sphere to Kim and to her new boyfriend. And he took a lot of understandable heat for all of that. Um, probably hurt, uh, you know, and just and confused, whatever. I, I don't want to get into a state of mind because I don't know for sure. But that that's he even seems to indicate yeah, that. Pretty public breakdown. Yeah, it really yeah. was. And so, yeah. so long story short, basically, he just disappeared. He went off the grid for, for quite some time and uh, reemerged as part of celebrating um, Puff Daddy, uh, a legendary rapper in that industry, and uh, came out of hiding and basically said that he just needed to, he, he, he just wanted to be so off the grid that he might as well be declared legally dead. And um, it was just, it was an interesting story. It, it's worth a quick read, dealing with such difficult circumstances in the public sphere. So here's why, because um, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now that are, why are Peter and Carmen talking about Kanye West in this mess? Um, because he professes to be a Christian. Right. And, um, and so this conversation about how we live publicly in front of others um, and how we treat one another on social media, all of those I think are important conversations. But I also think that this um, this is an opportunity for us to be praying for someone, um, this this desire to want to declare yourself legally dead, I think, opens up an opportunity for what it looks like uh, for the possibility of being reborn. Um, he he appeared, but he did not appear. He appeared, but he was completely covered up. Like, I think there is um, a spiritual conversation um, to be to be had here and an opportunity, particularly when we're talking with young people who are going to have seen this, they are going to have heard this. This is yep. something that they will know about. Even if you've heard nothing about any of this and you're listening today and you're wondering why we're talking about it um, because the world is talking about this. And so, um, and the world talks about these people. Um, and so what does, what does it mean to desire to be declared legally dead? I think that that also means um, you have a desire to be reborn and this appearing, although completely covered up where nobody could see him. I think that maybe that's because he doesn't know what the reborn Kanye West is mm -hmm. going to look like when, um, you know, when he is presented to the world. And so uh, I want to be praying. Um, this is a very gifted, very talented, very influential person. Um, and I I want for the person who reemerges from all of this to be um, to be a delight to the heart of God and to use that platform to his glory. Yeah, I think what you just said is so important. I, I love the idea of when a caterpillar begins to weave its chrysalis uh, and then it hides within that chrysalis uh, to reemerge uh, as a butterfly. In that time in the chrysalis, when they're sort of in hiding like that, they basically turn into a little 
blob of jelly. I mean, and, and people consider that time to be a very vulnerable time because if anything gets at them in the midst of that vulnerability, they will not be able to complete the transformation. And if we had a longer period of time or a different kind of format, we could talk about how that actually really does relate to the Christian life where you are setting aside something old, you're reemerging into something new, but there is a vulnerability in coming into a new form of life. Yeah. I uh, I think there's much to be said there about that. So thanks for um, thanks for touching on it this morning. Um, when we come back, I'm going to ask Peter if he were going to cheat on an exam. What exam would he cheat on? That's up next. You're on mornings with Carmen. Dr. Peter Kapsner is in the house. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Uh, Peter, if you were going to cheat on an exam, what kind of exam would it be? Well, it would be anything within the field of mathematics after long division, <laughs> because uh, after that, and I would, in order to even just like pass the class, I'd have to. We, I remember in my eighth grade algebra class, he allowed us to take group tests in algebra, which meant really all you need to do is identify the one person who was smart in algebra, oh, right? Yeah. So I oh, got yeah. an A in eighth grade, and after that, math was a challenge. I, I could never understand anything because I didn't know how X plus Y could equal anything, and from there, I w- it was over. So I would have to cheat in math for sure. So um, uh, Peter and I are not advocating cheating here. We are trying to have a conversation about the reality of cheating, um, and I will just go ahead and confess that uh, for for many years, early on, I was the kid people cheated off of. Um, but then that changed at some point in time. And <laughs> having been a person who had been a part of the cheating environment on the cheating off of side, I thought, well, you know, I don't there are some things here, let's say, in biology that I don't know. I can't. That's not good at that. Science is not my thing. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I confess to having cheated. <clears throat> um Mrs. Stern was my, my Mrs. Stern was my bio, my biology teacher. How, what, how is that for a name? Yeah. Anyway, um, I know, I know. So I, I'll con- I think that she has already um, gone to be with the Lord. So I feel okay about confessing that I cheated in biology class. Definitely. Okay. So talk with us about um, what is going on. Ernst and Young um, yeah. has been fined a hundred million dollars in an ethics exam cheating probe they were cheating on an ethics exam the irony right you just you can't make this up so they anybody who is doing tax work has to take a certified public accountant test and as part of that test there's going to be an ethics portion and of course here's the great irony is that a number of their cpas that do tax and legal work in that entire field of the irs um, were caught cheating on the ethics portion so they were they were fined a hundred million dollars um, because of that cheating. And boy, you know, as just sort of, the, um, you, you can't make this stuff up category, but it's sad, isn't it? I, it? Because once you start being willing to bend the rules in in a space when maybe you think nobody is observing you, there's almost no chance that you're not going to continue to bend rules as it seems convenient for you. And uh, I just got done having a conversation with um, some of the employees at the business that I own. And we have maybe four or five young people, and they are so talented, Carmen. And they're also coming from a, a, a time 
uh, out of COVID and uh, just technology life, that means they can do a lot of remote work and they can work on Zoom and they can work at home. I had a lot of students <clears throat> that had to Zoom into my classes too. And here's where the ethics comes in is that um, there there's a lot of temptation when you're working remote or doing remote class to be doing other stuff, to not be participating, to be bending rules because you're not being observed as you might've been when you were working in a 40 or 45 or 50 hour work week with other people in person. And, and I'm not advocating for that, but it is interesting how much I need to have uh, talks with them about what an ethical life in private looks like. Um, I told them just this last week, I said, we're looking for two things in our employees. We're looking for talented people so they don't have to be micromanaged all the time. And we're looking for ethical people, meaning that they can be trusted when nobody is observing them. And uh, we're, we're now putting some people in place to help grow them in those areas because they're just, it's almost part of the fabric of how we celebrate life together. Somebody gets celebrated a lot of times when they get ahead through using maybe um, kind of gray area means, or in this case, they just flat cheated at Ernst and & Young. And, and this is another area that we all need, I think, some help in our discipleship about what it means to be a faithful person in the midst of the lack of observation. Because if you're not, you're probably setting something else loose in your life that begins to wind its way into relationships in other areas, too. Yeah, no question about it. Um, also, uh, one thing that occurs to me um, is if you want to catch cheaters, you should hire a cheater. Yeah, right. Which, That's you know, okay, is, so Erston yep. Young, I mean, this is this is one of the things that I was thinking about. These these people's job is to go in, their auditors, is to go in and examine whether or not, uh, you know, somebody in a in a firm um, has cheated in some way, shape or form, you know, has failed to disclose something, has failed to follow some kind of rules related to regulations. And so maybe the best people to send in to find cheaters is people who've been successful at cheating. I don't know. I mean, maybe well, there is a connection here. I think there is. It's always my favorite when somebody who who hacks into the government then gets hired right, by the, the government hired. to catch hackers. They just there, totally. there is a mindset that they get it. Yeah, you're right. Totally. Um, all right. We don't have a lot of time left here to talk about all of the confusion in the culture today um, related to intimacy. But um, I just know that you are in, uh, you know, relationship with young people, both your own uh, in your own home, but others through your work um, as well. Um, what What's going on in terms of Gen Z and how you hear and see them um, yeah. responding in the wake of the Roe v. Wade, um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Yeah, I would say in 60 or 90 seconds or so, um, I, I would even recommend uh, telling the, our Faith Radio family a bit about this article. It was a really good article to read that gets us into the inside of their reaction. I think it's on insider.com. But long story short, we spent some time at our Sabbath gathering this last week where we had a number of young people, including my kids, but other kids. And what we explored, more importantly, than the Roe versus Wade conversation, which is obviously an incredibly important conversation, is we explored what happened in the 1960s that got us to the point of mm. needing to have um, this Roe versus Wade decision made because the sexual norms changed so much in the 1960s. They're 60 years removed from that. It's, it's ancient history for them. And yet what happened in the 60s absolutely impacts their lives today. And they begin to see a broader story. So I think if somebody wanted to start 
um, talk about the change and shift away from nuclear family as the appropriate place for sexual activity to what happened in the 60s to the results of what then happened in the 1970s that that led us to Roe versus Wade. That's a great starting place to start building a different foundation. And they honestly, Carmen, they were captivated. They had absolutely no idea what had taken shape then. Mm, that is so good. And that is the right time period um, to point to and revisit. So Thank you so much, Dr. Peter Kapsner, as always. Um, appreciate you. Appreciate you always covering for me when I'm not going to be here. Um, Peter is going to be hosting the show on July the 5th, so I don't have to get up early after a night of fireworks. <laughs> I hope you have That's a great the weekend. Big plan. The That's yeah, the big plan. Absolutely, Carmen. You too. You too. <laughs> right, That's Dr. Peter Kapsner. You can find him at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be uh, right back after Breakpoint. If you have been uh, listening to the raging debate in the culture, then one of the uh, questions that surely you have been asking, it's been asked publicly, and it should be asked, and we as Christians should have a good answer to the question, what is a woman? What is a woman? Um, How is it possible that uh, it could be argued that women are now second-class citizens or women have lost some right Um, that men have, that women now don't have, if what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman aren't actually relevant conversations in the world today. So uh, the question, what is a woman, provokes the sort of related question, what is a man? What is a man? And who are the men we need? Brant Hansen is a radio host. He is an author. He's a movie producer. He is an all-around um, interesting guy with um, with lots to say and a very delightful way uh, in which to say it. So he's going to join us next. The book is The Men We Need. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. If you don't already know Brant Hansen, you are in for a treat. You can check out who he is and all he's doing at BrantHanson.com. Brant, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. So glad to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, this is either um, a little bit intimidating or one of those conversations where I should just let you take over. <laughs> no, I don't think I look forward to talking to you. No, I don't want that. I have, en- I have enough me. Bran Hansen is really good at the craft in which we are now engaged, which is uh, live on-air conversations. I think you're really um, a storyteller at heart, and I think that is what has made you um, so good across so many platforms in terms of communication. So um, where is your favorite place um, or maybe your favorite kind of story to tell? Oh, gosh. Well, I people need to know about this. So what Cure does... Cure are these Christian hospitals around the world that serve the poorest of the poor. So I get to travel. I'm leaving for Zambia in a couple of weeks, but like I get to go to these hospitals. It's it's like seeing the kingdom of God in 3D, real time, I, like nothing I've ever seen because we're healing and proclaiming the kingdom. We're telling people about Jesus. 
as we heal their kids and provide surgery, sometimes the kids are 15, 17 years old, can't walk. And now they can. Like, I, I, I don't know why cure is not like the biggest thing going, but those are my favorite stories because every one of them reads like, or feels like something out of the New Testament. Like they go back to their communities and people are like, who did this? Like, well, these, these, these people who follow this Jesus, they healed us. We now serve him. Like, I've never seen anything like it. So that, that's my favorite thing. That's awesome. He's talking about Cure International, also known as um, Cure. You can check that out. You can connect with that uh, directly off of Brant's website as well. Um, I want uh, I want to skip. I know you want to skip past the like current argument in the culture about gender. Um, and so uh-huh. uh, and so I'll start this way. Since the book um, since the book is the men we need, um, I'll start with this question: What is a man? Yeah. Okay. That's a great question. Apparently I'm going to default to the woman (laughs) who is taking her place on the Supreme court. She had a great answer when she said, well, she at least said it's a biological issue Mm -hmm. because they asked her, what is a woman? And she said, well, I'm not a biologist. So that obviously to her, it's a, it's a matter of biology. I will agree with her on that. Um, So I guess if people don't like that answer, I guess they disagree with her and me on that. And that's, that's, that's fair. It's free country. So, um, but that's, that's what I think. I think it's biologically rooted. I think it's a blessing. Uh, and ultimately a lot of guys, even Christian guys don't actually know though what they're supposed to be doing. So that's why I was like, I'll skip past the arguments. I'm not laying out arguments in the book. I actually want to help guys, especially and women too, like, no, what is a man supposed to be doing? Cause we, we've deconstructed everything, but then we're not left with many constructions that are distinct. It's like, we know what guys aren't supposed to be doing, but I'm trying to go, okay, here's the vision for what we're supposed to be doing, whether you're a he-man with a big truck and can fix stuff, or you're more like me and you play the flute and you're a librarian. Like that's, it still applies. Um, Flute and accordion. Yes. Yeah. I didn't want to brag or threaten, Mm -hmm. uh, but I also Mm -hmm. do play the accordion too. Mm -hmm. I have seen the picture on Chicken Street in (laughs) Afghanistan. So I, yeah. I, I figured it wasn't yeah. a prop. I figured you were really playing it. Okay, so this is a book on manhood. This is a book on manhood, but this is a really different kind of book on manhood. Um, uh, so what do men need to be doing? Um, who are the men we need today? Yeah, okay, so here's what I'm I'm trying to paint the picture, because, again, we have a lot of the pieces, like a puzzle, but we don't have the box top to look at it, especially for younger guys, but older guys, too, we're lost. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? Like, God gave Adam a specific job, and it was to be the keeper of the garden. And I still think that's it. So for me, as I understand it, and what I see from Adam's job, it doesn't, like, it It means protector. It means a cultivator of a space where the vulnerable can thrive around you. So that if someone's vulnerable, let's say physically, the women, women in your life, kids in your neighborhood, like everyone around you, they get to thrive because you are their protector and you cultivate they you cultivate a space where they can thrive and i try to make the argument to guys like not only is that the the biblical idea for adam but when you actually do this i'm just saying women find it really attractive mm-hmm. and you don't have to be you don't have to be well muscled you don't have to be you know a navy seal you don't have to have the tats you don't have like if you do this, women will find security with you. And they're actually looking to feel secure. So if you provide security and exude security, you can be a nerd like me 
and your wife will still think you're highly attractive. Like women gravitate towards that. And I'm saying that's not the reason to do it, but it's a reason to be, it's very instructive because women are brilliant and intuitive and they know what we're for. They know when we're operating on our best, on our best and we're actually fulfilling our purpose. And it just so happens they find it wildly attractive when we do create security and protect the vulnerable around us. Brant, and we're talking with Brant Hansen. You can find Brant and um, certainly the book we're discussing today, The Men We Need, but also other Brant Hansen stuff at BrantHansen.com. Um, this, uh, this understanding and appreciation of, of Adam and therefore man and men as the keeper of the garden, the protector, the cultivator of a space where others are safe and can thrive. Um, in my family, we call this the tender tender. <clears throat> so hmm. I, I married hmm. a ten, a tender tender. He was actually an arborist, like, like literally hmm. a tender of trees um, and, you know, and a gardener and a protector um, and yes, I would say that, I mean, I didn't get married until I was in my 40s. And um, so I had a lot of first dates, a lot of first dates. Um, but <laughs> right. but the one that I married is, you know, is the tender tender. He is exactly what you're describing, who you're describing. And so even yes. though in our family, we have boys who, um, you know, one of whom is like, super manly, manly, ex-Marine, all that that means. And one who is like you, like, you know, I, I mean, I say this with all love and affection and hope he's not offended. Oh, if he yeah, hears yeah, this, yeah, But, course. you know, like, right. right? No. Like, like nerdy and um, yeah. and in, a, in such a lovely way and like cares about shoes. Um, so um, I I just want you to revel in this for a moment, because I do think it's such a gift for men to hear and for women to hear. First of all, it's okay for women. It's okay for us to want to live in security, not yes. be insecure, but to live in relationships and environments of security. We do not have to create that for ourselves. Like God made men and right. we, so, um, we appreciate that. Yeah. So guys don't understand this though. They can't crystallize it. That's why I wanted to write the book. Like, let me crystallize it for you. If you are manly man, quote unquote, You've got all the trappings. You're great looking. You got shredded abs. You can hunt and fish and all that sort of whatever the traffic. But you don't make your wife feel secure. She will resent all that stuff. It won't be manly to her. At first, it will be when you first meet. But if you if you're an angry guy who makes the the home insecure, or you flirt with other women, or you whatever you do, whatever you do to make her feel insecure, she'll actually resent your shredded abs. I'm serious. Conversely, if you're an average looking dude or not average, you know, you're not in great shape, blah, blah, but you do inhabit this role where you just exude, you, you protect the vulnerable, you create the space for your, for your, for the women in your life and, and the kids and people around you to thrive. She'll find it attractive. So it is great news because a lot of that stuff we can't, I can't manufacture the triceps necessarily very easily. But I can, I can, my character can change and I can more inhabit this. And it's also life giving to the guys when we start to do this. It's, we just come alive. The Men We Need is the book, the subhead, God's purpose for the manly man, the avid endorsement, and any man willing to show up. Brant Hansen is our conversation partner today. He recently found the world's best dad. We're going to ask about that next. <laughs> Good. 
We're talking with Brant Hansen. His new book, The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Indoorsman, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. Uh, it's a book about adulting, gardening, defending against intruders. It's about um, being men, real men, godly men um, in the world today and why we need them, why we need them as women, why we need them as families, why we need them um, a- as a world. So, Brant, you recently found the world's best dad. Tell us about him. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I was at the hospital, the Cure International Hospital in Uganda. A lot of times if a, if a kid is born with a disability in a traditional culture, they're, they're abandoned by dad. The, the mom is abandoned. The kid's abandoned. So dad takes us. So we see tons of single women, desperate moms coming in, needing surgery for kids, in this case with hydrocephalus which is this swelling of the brain, and it's fatal if it's not treated. So they have giant heads, these little babies. My brother actually died from hydrocephalus, um, so my mom had to go through that tragedy. But he, this, this dad was there. Among all these women, there's a dad with this baby. And I, and I asked him, I got to know him a little bit. His name's Stephen. And he said that the mom had left when she saw that this kid had a disability, took off with another man and abandoned this baby. This guy is, he has no money. He was a truck driver, but he said, I had to quit my job to take care of this little one. Now, this little one is a monster to the rest of the culture. I mean, th- that's how they're treated. They're complete outcasts. And, and if you have one of these kids in your family, you're an outcast and a freak. Well, this guy has abandoned everything to watch out for this baby. I mean, I've told him, he spoke a little bit of English, but we also had a translator. It's like, dude, you're a hero. Very few other guys have the medal to, to do what you're doing. You just have my respect. I got to tell you that. So when Father's Day rolled around, I'm like, hey, you got to meet this guy. I put up a little video of him uh, and, that, and that little boy. I love that. Um, and again, you can connect with Brant and everything that he's doing, including videos like that at BrantHanson.com. Um, I think that one's particularly on Facebook. But you, you can connect with Brant on all his socials um, through his website, what does it mean to forsake the fake and relish the real? Oh, I'm trying to tell guys, especially younger, because they might be middle school, high school, college, 20s, 30s, actually 40s. Like, I get video games. I think they're really fun. I'm not against them, but they're almost too fun. That's the problem. And obviously, pornography is, is deadly. But there's a ton of guys that they're just, they're just opting for virtual experiences, I'm like, this fake experience stuff is going to kill us. You're actually needed out there. That's what I'm trying to tell guys. Like, this is the problem. You can lock yourself in with fake stuff and go, well, you know, the, the cultural ethos is as long as I'm not hurting somebody else, what does it matter? If I, if I lock myself in, like millions of guys do, it's, it's cross-cultural too. And I just do games and porn, for instance. I'm not involved with people. Well, as long as I'm not hurting somebody else. You are hurting somebody else. Because we needed you out here. Your neighborhood needed you. You were given strength and ability by God in different areas. For me, it's verbal. You know, I may not be the, uh, the big jacked athlete or something, but God gave me words to use. Like, I can still inhabit this role as a keeper of the garden. And you're needed. If you, because you didn't show up, the culture is different. We need you. 
So I'm trying to implore guys, like it's not enough to just go as long as I'm not hurting somebody else. The other thing is the virtual life. If you don't forsake it, you won't become the man that you could have been. And that's horrifying because fake women will not call you out to be a man. They never challenge you. They never argue with you. They never engage your intellect. They never ask you to go to CVS or Walgreens at 2 a.m. because they don't feel very good. And now you got to get do something you don't want to do. They never tell you to get off the video games. You just get this fake experience with pixels on a screen. It's like, but a real woman is here to challenge you and oppose you and make you better. All of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to miss out on that. So that, that's, I just spent a couple chapters exploring that and explaining that, especially so, so it's just crystallized in guys' heads. Like, yeah, that's right. That's who I want to be. So in the story about, um, about Stephen, um, world's best dad, you, um, you know, you shared something very personal about your own family and your own life and the death of your brother from hydrocephalus. And um, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you'll reflect on that for a moment, because loss is real. And, mm-hmm. and I think loss forms us in, in ways that um, those who maybe think they have escaped loss, right, um, are not formed. So can you talk about maybe that a little bit? Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that and then one other quick thing. Um, yeah, my brother died of hydrocephalus. It was before I was born, so I didn't have the same experience my mom and dad did. But I do think I'm formed, and I think this book comes out of this too. I went through divorces and whatnot growing up, a lot of trauma, and I remember. I think that has shaped me because I remember being scared all the time within the house. My dad's a pastor, but I was frightened growing up all the time. I've, I, it's, it's hard to recount all of it, but just know that. And I remember thinking, you know what, if I'm ever a dad, I know what my kids are not going to feel like. I know what's going to happen when I come in the door. They're not going to be dreading it. They're not going to be scared. And we've, you know, our kids are out of the house now, and I'm happy to say that when I came in the door, they were like, daddy. And they would all come running to the door and they still want to see me. Like my, we just became a grandparent for the first mm. time. I just became like grandma and grandpa. And uh, <laughs> our daughter was here last night. I, lo- I mean, we just laugh and laugh and laugh. Like my, I, I, I think safety and security is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's such a part of manliness. My dad may be 6'3 and huge. I'm 5'10, I'm 160 pounds. Like, but I don't think it's about height, weight, uh, the truck you drive, all that sort of stuff. I think, I think really the box top issue is the security thing and being like your husband's a literal gardener. I'm not saying be a little, little gardener, but it's, it, it's a learning experience. The thing about a garden is vulnerable species that would not survive out in the wild get to thrive and bloom because of the gardener. I feel like that's what it means to be a keeper of the garden. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You and Jim would like each other a lot. Um, <laughs> Good, I bet. We, uh, it's almost tribal here. Uh, three of our grown kids are actually building houses down the street. So yeah, Sweet. I mean, you know, if, if we could have a compound, we would. Yes, exactly. So I, uh, I resonate with all of this. Hey, how can we be praying for you as you prepare to leave for Zambia? Oh gosh, I always need energy and creativity. And um, I want to, I, I would love if people would pray that more 
the cure, people would know more about it. Because I feel like if they associated that work with Christianity, they'd have a better picture of who Jesus is than maybe some of the other stuff that we're all guilty of doing. So I would love for cure, if you pray for cure to explode, like we, we've got a waiting list of over 5,000 kids at these surgeries. Like these are, it's eight hospitals. More people need to know about it. I mean, Tim Tebow's involved, Chris Tomlin, people like that, but it needs to be bigger than it is. And I, I wish people would associate us with that. So pray for cure. And if people are interested in seeing the kids and what cure does, the surgeons and whatnot, it's uh, it's cure.org. If you just want to go directly there, what a beautiful website. So highly recommend it. Thanks. Thanks for asking that question. Yeah. All right. We're going to pray for you right now. Father, um, thank you for Brant. Thank you for the way um, your spirit expresses uh, itself in his life and through his words and ministry. Grant a hedge of protection uh, over him, travel mercies upon him and the rest of the team that are traveling. Um, Bless uh, his family in his absence. Prepare the way before him that you would indeed uh, expand the footprint of this ministry, Cure, um, that you would... um, Use it in ways to magnify and glorify yourself and edify people that they might lead lives that are worthy um, of the calling of being your image bearers. So thank you, Lord, for your grace and this conversation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Brant, what a joy. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Likewise. That's Brant Hansen. You can find him and everything we talked about today, including a connection to Cure at BrantHanson.com. I don't know about you, but my uh, heart is tenderized today toward um, so many who are hurting in such a myriad of ways, not only in our own culture, but around the world. And so I'm going to invite you to um, have your prayer radar really tuned up today. Um, See people who maybe ordinarily you tend to look past. Um, Listen and linger longer. Ask the next question. Invite people to tell you more. Um, You'd be surprised how much you can learn by just simply asking somebody, hey, tell me your story. Or, hey, I see this or that. Tell, Tell me about that. Tell me about that. Be curious today. Be on the lookout for those divine appointments that God has certainly set. He has prepared in advance the good works for each one of us to do today. So let's be on the lookout for those. Let's be prepared to lean into them. Um, And let's tend well to the things that God has uh, given us to do in this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.